God bless you. Welcome to the Wonderful Words of Life radio program. We are going to be in the New Testament in Colossians, and we're going to be looking at chapter 3. And we're going to be talking about uh, who we are in Christ Jesus, a very important topic, very important uh, to understand our identification that we have in Christ Jesus. Amen. Uh, you know, the book of the Colossians, Paul's epistle to the Colossians, it's one of the prison epistles that was written by him uh, while he was imprisoned at Rome, uh, probably around 60 to 64 A.D., somewhere in that area, uh, right before uh, he was offered up uh, in sacrifice. Um, he had been arrested but was briefly released and then uh, re-imprisoned again, and that was when he suffered martyrdom for the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, his influence is all over this area of Asia Minor. Uh, scholars think that it was Epaphroditus, which was a student and a disciple of the Apostle Paul, is the one who actually began this church. Uh, that is not definite, but we see Paul's handiwork, and not only in the work, but in this epistle. And so it's very important that we study this in light of uh, our redemption in Christ Jesus. Uh, actually, the ruins of the Church of Colossae are still found uh, in the uh, about the central eastern part of Turkey today, uh, about 120 miles from the ruins of Ephesus. Uh, and this is a great, great epistle. It's a great instruction uh, to uh, believers concerning uh, the, the doctrine. Uh, matter of fact, um, if you take this third chapter, um, the first part of it speaks of the, our position in Christ Jesus. And then um, the, the last part speaks to us of our practical application of the, the knowledge of God that has uh, been imparted to us through the Holy Spirit, uh, that uh, revelation and uh, that knowledge uh, to be practiced and to be acted upon so that uh, we will be able to be lights that shine into this darkened world. You know, the fact that the believer uh, has been raised up and made to sit in heavenly places speaks to us of a resurrection life that we are to live out, uh, not just when we get to heaven, but when we uh, we live it out down here on this earth, too. And so we're going to see some things. We're going to see uh, the, the term to sit uh, speaks of victory because Jesus, after he had finished his work, he sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. So to sit is a symbol of great victory. And that's exactly what uh, Roman generals, after they conquered an enemy and they were paraded through uh, the city of Rome, uh, they were allowed to sit uh, right beside the Caesar and to um, give him a, a, a victory crown and to acknowledge the fact that he was uh, a victor. So uh, this is a very exciting uh, epistle, the, at least the first part of it, first half of it. And so we're going to see some great things here. But before we begin, let's go ahead and let's pray. Father, we thank you. We can do nothing now without you, Lord Jesus. And we can do nothing without the revelation that comes to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we trust in his anointing to put us over today, and we'll give you thanks for it. In Jesus' name, amen. So we know, reading through the New Testament, that God has a redemptive plan for man. We know that. Uh, we know that uh, 
that the Christian, when he becomes born again, Second uh, Corinthians chapter five, verse 17 says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. We know that the believer, the born again believer ha- has died. Uh, he's died to this world. He's been translated from the power of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. But not just has he died, but he's also been risen again, and he's been risen in, in the person of Jesus Christ. So his position is in heavenly places. If Christ the head has been risen above the clouds, so positionally in Christ Jesus, you and I as born again believers have also been risen above uh, the clouds. And we, we sit there in Christ Jesus at the right hand of the throne of God. So that is where our authority that's where it uh, has been raised to. Our authority is in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus is at the right hand of the throne of God. So our authority is granted to us from the very throne of God. So that's where our authority is. And we also understand that growing in Christ means putting off the old man and then putting on the new man that we're no longer under the dominion and power of the nature of sin. Sin has been paralyzed. It's been made ineffective. And so we have now been granted uh, the power to rule over uh, the the, the uh, elemental spirits of this age. Now, there is still the potential in the believer uh, to sin. That's true because our bodies have not been redeemed yet. But we have the power to overcome and to overrule Uh, Sin does not rule over us, but we rule over it. And so it's the duty of every believer to awake to righteousness so that they will not so that we will not learn how to sin. Amen. We are to flee that. We're to flee idolatry. We're to flee these things. And so uh, that should be common knowledge to each and every one of us who are saved. Uh, The fact that the believer has been raised up. And been made to sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus is what has been given to us or granted to us authority down here on this earth. And of course, to sit means to have victory. Amen. Praise God. Now, the first two chapters of the this epistle to the Colossians speaks of the preeminence of Christ, speaks of his deity, uh, speaks to him as the one who was involved in the creation uh, he's also sustains uh, the entire creation by the power of his word and also established the fact that he is the head of the church. So all of creation is sustained through him. Now, one thing we, we don't a lot of times uh, think about is that not only is uh, creation sustained through him, but the body of Christ is sustained through him. You individually are sustained through him. I am a sta- sustained through him. So all of redemption is upheld by him. Praise God. Amen. And so chapter three now that we're going to get into just the first four verses speaks of our life in Christ. The fact that we have been up, upheld by him and by the word of his power. And so we understand, hopefully we understand our identification with him. The fact that, number one, we were crucified with him by faith. Amen. Now, when Jesus was on the cross, uh, he paid the penalty for every man's sin. All pa- you know, every man's sin, past, present and future. 
But now it's through the revelation, through the acknowledgement of, of Christ, the fact that his crucifixion was for us. You know, Paul said it this way in Romans chapter 10, that if we will confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. For with the heart, man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So there is a heart and mouth connection uh, to receiving the new birth. We can believe that Jesus is the son of God, but if we don't call upon him, if we don't confess his lordship over us as an act of surrender to him, uh, then we haven't gone far enough. We've gotten to the threshold, but we haven't crossed the threshold into uh, the kingdom of God until not only we believe with our heart, but also that we confess with our mouth. So uh, the crucifixion of Jesus on the cross was our crucifixion. And so when we come to Christ and we believe that he is uh, who he says he is, uh, we believe that he is the son of God and that he paid the penalty for our sin. And when that Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit makes that real to us, then uh, his crucifixion then becomes our crucifixion. His death then becomes our death. I was born in a Christian home. My daddy was Sunday school superintendent, elder of the church. We were in church every Sunday. But uh, the gospel message was never made real to me until I was 21 years old. On a Wednesday night, I realized for the first time that I was not good, that I wasn't good enough to get into heaven, that I needed Jesus and only Jesus that could save me from my sin and grant me eternal life. And so I made that decision. I surrendered my life to him uh, and it, it all came about through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I received Jesus that night in Jesus' name, hallelujah, and God saved me and has kept me all of these years. So crucifixion, even though it's an historical act, crucifixion has to become real to us through the preaching of the gospel and through the revelation of the Holy Spirit. Paul said it this way in Galatians 2.20. He says, I am crucified with Christ. I was and continue to be crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That which Paul said applies to us today. We live our life by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he never comes up short. He never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Uh, the Jesus Christ who saved us in the very beginning is the same Jesus Christ who keeps us today. And it's the same Jesus Christ that will deliver us in the future when he returns. Amen. Praise God. So not only were we crucified with him, but by the operation of God, we were also buried with him. And Paul tells us that in Romans chapter 6. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into his death. And we're going to see this as we go along in the, this uh, first four verses of Colossians chapter 3. You know, we were buried with him. That means that uh, when we go under the water, all of our former life now is buried. That means it's put to death by us vitally. Not just positionally, 
but also vitally. See, this is why water baptism is a symbol of what God has done in our heart uh, through the new birth. So when we go under the water, our life, old life is buried. And when we come out of the water, now we come out representing that we have been raised up to new life in Christ Jesus. Praise God. Hallelujah. And then, of course, like as Christ was raised from the dead, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Now, this is very important. We should walk in newness of life. Now, that's not a question mark. If I were to say, if you were to come to me and if you were to say, I would like to leave, please show me the way out. And I would point to you, I would point to a door and say, if you want to leave, you should go out that way. And any person that uh, wants to leave that building will follow those instructions. And see, this is the this is the sensing in this word should should walk, not not saying, well, you have a choice. You can if you want to. Or you can't No, if you're truly raised with Christ, you should walk in newness of life. Amen. Hallelujah. If you take the number two and you add two to it, you should equal four. If you come out with any other number, then then you've done something wrong. <laughs> Amen. Praise God. If you go to school and you make straight A's in school, then you should graduate. And that's proven every every school year. Uh, if for some reason a person makes straight A's and doesn't graduate, it's because of some extenuating circumstance like Maybe the last day of school, he punched out the teacher. Maybe he wound up stealing something he shouldn't have. Maybe he vandalized the school or something of that nature that would deny him his graduation. Well, those are exceptions. Those are not the rules, and they don't happen very often. Any, any student who makes straight A's in his senior year will graduate. Amen. Praise God. So that's the word. It's the Greek word peripatio, and it's a subjunctive. It's a uh, active subjunctive means that we should. You know, it's a conditional thing. We should. Amen. And we will, but we should. And so it's uh, all because of the radical change that has taken place in our lives. So that's something we look forward to. We are to walk in newness of life. And that happened to me that Wednesday night that I got born again. I knew immediately that I was a born again child of God. Things had changed. That old man was gone. That dominion and that power of sin that held my life in bondage and in slavery, all of that was put to naught. All of that was set aside. And there was a new life that had come into me. So uh, through the new birth, a uh, changed life has transpired. So this is our position in Christ Jesus. This is our identifying Christ Jesus in his uh, crucifixion, his burial, and also in his resurrection. So we have literally, uh, we're, well, not literally, but we're talking about spiritually. We have spiritually died. Our inner man has died. That uh, dominion of sin has set been set aside that old uh, compunction to sin and to live in sin has died, and we've been raised up to new life. And so if that has taken place, then we should walk in newness of life. Amen. And notice that this, uh, this is an imperative. 
In other words, an imperative is a command. I mean, it's a statement of a fact that this is what should happen to us. And if it doesn't happen, then something beforehand uh, has taken place that uh, that should not have been. In other words, maybe we didn't follow the Lord like we should have. Maybe we didn't receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord like we thought we did. Maybe we thought church membership was all we needed. Maybe we thought that just being baptized in water and really not understanding what we did when we were water baptized. Uh, maybe all of these factors in as uh, has not granted to us uh, the kind of new birth experience uh, that the Bible says that we can have. And so we should, an imperative, we should walk in newness of life. And so there is a place in here for man's free will. and But this is after the fact that we have been born again and we've made that willful choice to follow Jesus and to surrender him. So now, instead of uh, uh, positionally being raised to new life, now we are to learn to walk in newness of life. So um, that's, uh, that's a vital truth uh, for us to understand. And of course, you know, the subjunctive nature of scriptures is condition based. If we are risen with Christ, then we are most certainly going to walk in newness of life. Amen. Praise God. If you, as a child, if you receive proper nourishment, you will grow. And so there are many in the Christian church that choose not to. I remember years ago reading about a, a, a child that was delivered from its parents and uh, because of uh, child abuse and uh, the, the, um, uh, the government officials that uh, took this child from the home thought the child was just maybe eight or nine years old, but come to find out uh, that child was almost an adult, 17 or something years old. But the, 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 that child had been so malnourished and so treated so shamefully and awfully that the body did not grow like it should have. And so we are uh, very, uh, if we don't, let me put it this way, if, if we do not follow the scriptures, we can be that way spiritually. We can be malnourished. We can uh, have uh, a prohibition against us growing up in the things of the Lord. So it's very important for us to stay uh, with the word of God. Now, Colossians chapter three and verse one says this. If ye then notice this, the subjunctive nature of this opening Verse, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sits on the right hand of God. So we can say it this way. If we have not been risen with Christ, then we're not going to seek those things which are above. We're going to be earthly creatures, earthbound creatures, not heavenly bound creatures. Amen. So if ye be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sits on the right hand of the throne of God. Amen. So we know through faith that we have been risen with Christ. We have the evidence of it, the fact that we're born again. We have a changed life. And we know through that changed life that we have died and that we have been raised up to new life in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. Now, verse 2 says this. Now, seek 
set, rather, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. In other words, to set means to, uh, it means to reign. It means to curb. It means to exercise. Notice set your affection actually means set your mind. It's the, uh, it's the Greek word phroneo, and it means to exercise the mind. It means to entertain or to have a sentiment or an opinion about something. It means to be disposed to go into a certain direction. So we want to please God. We want to go in the direction of Jesus Christ. We want to be a follower of him. So in order to do that, we have to give an expression to that which God has done into our heart. And we do that outwardly through our mind, our will, and our emotions. So what we do is we set our mind on things above. Amen. Praise God. We keep on thinking about. And we are responsible now for our thoughts. And I know there's about, on average, about 50,000 thoughts that run through our mind every day. Well, how much of those thoughts, how many of those thoughts are thinking about heavenly things? And notice that Paul said, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Things on the earth are earthly, worldly. Amen. So we have to ask ourselves the question, what things are we setting our minds on? Hallelujah. Well, let's ask this question. What did Paul mean by that? What things is he talking about? Well, in the verses um, 5 through 17, which we're not going to get into in this session, uh, he said to set our mind on mortifying our body. He says to set our mind on putting off the old man. Uh, he says to set our mind to putting on the new man. Set our mind to put on love. Set our mind to the peace of God and allow the peace of God to rule in our heart. He says to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. That's what we set our mind on. The word of Christ to dwell in us richly. And of course, the last thing, the seventh thing that we're to set our minds to do is to give thanks to God. Always giving thanks to God. That's found in verses 5 through 17. That's what we're to set our minds on. But now Paul, he gives this very curious uh, verse 3, for ye are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. Now, what does that mean for you are dead? Well, to our life, for us to be dead speaks of separation. Hallelujah. You know, we belong to God. And we have dedicated our life to his service. And so we have set ourselves apart and separated from the world to do that very thing, same thing. That's really what separation and sanctification means. It means to separate. Now, God has done that through the operation of God. Uh, the very moment we got born again, we were translated from the power of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. So we have separated ourselves. God has separated us out of this world. And so now what does he do? He transforms us, amen, through the new birth and through the uh, renewing the mind. He transforms us, turns right around and sends us back into the world to be an emissary and to be an ambassador. That's exact, exactly 
what happened to Saul of Tarsus. He was on his way to Damascus. He was going to destroy the church there. He was going to get Christians in prison, and some of them will be put to death. But on the road to Damascus, he had a come to Jesus moment. Hallelujah. Praise God. And God turned him. He translated him from the power of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. And there was a separation there. We see him in Damascus. We see him being prayed for. We see him going into out into the desert. We see him separating himself. Amen. Not separating from the church in the church, but separation from the world, separation from the religious world that he came out of. So that he might, like he said, writing into the Philippians, uh, that he might know him and the power of his resurrection. So separation is very important. God does that. He separates us. But now uh, that we're born again, there are things that we're going to have to separate ourselves from. If we want to do the will of God, we've got to separate ourselves and give ourselves time to learn and to train, remember what Paul said, those things which you have heard and seen and received and me do them and the God of peace shall be with you. Well, that that requires separation. That requires separating ourselves unto the Lord. And there's special service for each and every one of us. You know, there's the setting apart of, of priests and, and pastors and apostles and prophets and even Sunday school teachers. Sunday school teachers, if you're called to be a Sunday school teacher, you have to separate yourself to give time uh, to pray and to study and to be prepared for your students. If you're not doing that, then you don't qualify as a Sunday school teacher. Amen. If you know in your heart that that's what God wants you to do, then you need to separate yourself. You need to be a workman that's approved unto God, rightly dividing uh, the word of truth. Truth. So uh, sanctification has become now a very vital part of our life. And uh, you remember that in, in the tabernacle and also in uh, Solomon's temple, that there were certain things that priests did uh, that uh, they had to sanctify themselves in order to perform those rites. They had to sanctify themselves in, in what they used, uh, the dedicated places and the dedicated vessels. All of that had to be sanctified. And so the service of the tabernacle had to be set up that way or God would not approve of it. And so the temple itself, Solomon's temple, was set apart. It was set apart for divine service. Well, if that is the case, then the priests and those uh, administering and ministering in the temple, they had to be set aside also. And of course, in the Old Testament, the Sabbath day, uh, that was a, a, a day to set aside and, and be separate and set apart uh, strictly for the worship of God. Now, we believers, most of us, we worship on the first day of the week, Sunday. Well, that day is to be set aside for strictly the worship of Almighty God. So uh, this word, our you know, for ye are dead, that speaks to us of separation. It speaks to us of the fact that our old life is dead. You know, Paul said it this way. Uh, we have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, we live, but we're not to live for ourselves, but we're living to the one who raised us from the dead. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we are to do. Amen. Our life. Notice what else Paul says. He says, for you're dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. Isn't that awesome? 
Our life is hid with Christ and God. That speaks that we're protected by the Father. So this speaks to us of God's fatherly care over us. It speaks of us as the children of God, that we're protected by the Father, that he stands in the way, just like any natural father would, that is going to protect his children. He will stand in the way of anyone who would seek to take us out of his hands, and no one can. Uh, Jesus said that in, in John chapter 10. You know, all those that the Father has given me have come to me, and he that comes into me, comes to me will in no wise cast out. Uh, those that the Father have given me, uh, no man can pluck them out of my hands. Amen, praise God. So there is a security that we have in Christ Jesus. And then verse 4 says, When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. So shall appear, shall appear with him in glory. That means until that time comes, this is what we do, verses 1 through 3, over and over and over again as a pattern of life, as a rule of our life. We keep ourselves dead uh, to the world, the flesh, and the devil. We keep ourselves resurrected, practically living out the resurrection life. Praise God. Hallelujah. And one day, and we do that faithfully, one day Jesus is going to come and he's going to receive us unto himself. Wouldn't that be a glorious day? Father, we thank you today for your word. We give you praise and honor and glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if you were to die today, that you would be prepared for heaven? If you're not sure, then I encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Father God, I come to you through your Son, Jesus Christ. I repent and ask you to forgive me of my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I surrender my heart and life to you. By faith, I believe I receive you as my Lord and Savior, and I thank you for receiving me in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed this prayer and desire to know more about the gift of Christ that the Heavenly Father offers you, then email us at rbtc86 at gmail.com. We will be glad to answer your questions promptly and provide you at your request with materials that will help you to grow in your faith in the Lord Jesus. This is Patsy Dunning. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today. And let me remind you to tune in to this station at the same time next week to hear more of the wonderful words of life. God bless you and remember what Jesus said. It is the Spirit who gives life.